Welcome into another edition of the Dane and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, I will be joined by the legend Brian Snow and Dan momentarily. But first, I got a special guest, Mo Egger from the Mo Egger Show on ESPN 1530 joins me. And Mo, you're going to be actually uh, calling this game play-by-play on 700 WLW. That's got to be pretty cool. First of all, Brian Snow's a legend. Well, just on this podcast, he asked to be called that. I told them they could pick their... Their introductions, that's wow. what he asked for. That's what we've given him for uh, four or five years now. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I should know that. Yeah, I uh, I am called. The game is actually, the, the, the basketball broadcast is on 102.7 WEBM. So when folks put on that radio station on Saturday afternoon expecting to hear Metallica or the Foo Fighters, they're going to be sorely disappointed when they hear me instead. <laughs> Well, see, not the first time someone's someone's turned on something and heard me and been disappointed. Yeah, or been turned on and, and then saw you and been disappointed. Um, you know, <laughs> we've had this a similar conversation. Jim Kelch and I do the NKU games on the project sometimes, and we're always thinking people have got to be driving around listening to indie rock, and then Jim cuts in with some NKU basketball banners for them, and they've got to really love that. Um, I'm sure they do. Yes. <laughs> Mo, I, I'll get to the game because I don't want to waste your time here. Um, the temperature of this UC fan base right now, I know people can get pretty worked up about an early season loss to Bowling Green, but they've sort of stabilized since then. They won the other two overtime games. They looked decent against Vermont the other night. What's kind of the temperature right now of the UC fan base and in John Brandon's first season, in your opinion? Uh, I would. I think the word that I would use would be apprehension. You know, n- number one, it's it's not just you know, that they've lost the two games. There is certainly nothing, no shame in losing to Ohio State, a, a team that's, I think, frankly, turned out to be a heck of a lot better than folks thought after uh, UC lost to them. And, you know, the the Bowling Green loss, if they end up, you know, being as good in the MAC as, as folks think, I'm, I'm not sure that that's going to be a an awful loss on a neutral court either. But it's, I think this team's inability to close out games, uh, the missed free throws, um, some turnover situations, you know, it's it's not even just a game that they lost. They blew a lead against uh, Valparaiso that they couldn't hang on to. Go to overtime and won that one. They blew a lead against uh, UNLV, and you know those are those are winnable games. And you're kind of offsetting these spurts where they play quite well with you know just some some really maddening stuff at the end of games. So I, I think that combined with just the the inability to get Jaron Cumberland on the court, I, I think. I think some have really worked hard to to read too deeply into the relationship between Jaron and and his coach. Jaron's been hurt. He's been physically compromised. I mean, he had an ice pack on his hip the other night. Um, I did those games in St. Thomas, and I, I watched him hobbling around. It, it gets exacerbated because uh, John benched him for a game, and you know clearly that wasn't injury related. So I, I think you take those things and then the schedule in front of them. You know, obviously the, the Xavier game is always a challenge, much, much more so clearly at the Cinta Center. Um, they have to play games against Tennessee and, and Iowa, which are, are going to be pretty formidable. So I, I think there's I think there's a lot of apprehension. And, and let's face it, that this, this season will be deemed a success if they can keep the streak of NCAA tournament appearances alive. And and I think that's that's a, a pretty fair standard to to ask a team that brings back the reigning conference player of the year to reach. And I, I think there's some some uncertainty as as to whether this team's going to be good enough for that to happen. I think there's short term apprehension. I think big picture, I think fans are still really on board with John Brandon being the guy. I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about the younger players this team has. But 
they, for the most part, they haven't played that well. They've blown leads. They've made games uncomfortable, more uncomfortable than they should be. Um, they can't get their keep their best player on the court. So yeah, there's there's some apprehension, and I think to a degree, it's it's justified. With John, aside from all the things you just <clears throat> mentioned, speaking stylistically about the way they're playing, what are the biggest changes you've seen from them so far this year? A kid will make a mistake. A kid will miss a shot. A kid will make a bad pass. Uh, a kid will blow a defensive assignment, and John will not let it go unaddressed. Uh, but he won't yank the kid out of the game. And f- for me, that's 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 the biggest thing. That that doesn't mean that the way Mick did it was wrong. It doesn't mean that the way John is doing it is wrong or right. But as as somebody who's you know probably watched. 98% of UC's minutes over the last uh, 12, 13 years with Mick coaching, it is just, that is uh, a little bit different. You know, you, you, you are very familiar with, with how John Brandon's offensive system works. Um, it's a lot less ISO oriented. It's, it's a lot less focused on, you know, one player having the ball in his hands. There have been fewer possessions. And frankly, this was less of an issue you know, maybe two years ago and three years ago when they had guys like Gary Clark and Jacob Evans. But, you know, we all saw Cincinnati teams that would sort of at times pointlessly throw the ball around, the clock would whittle down, there'd be two seconds, and the possession would end with a heave from beyond the arc. You're not getting many of those. Uh, They're shooting a lot earlier in the shot clock. Um, this team hasn't taken a lot of bad shots. They've, They've had bad shooting nights. You know, against Ohio State, they shot it poorly. Uh, the Illinois State game, I think they went 35 minutes without making a three. But y- you you haven't had an offense that has resulted in a lot of really bad shots being taken. Uh, I think you see an offense, you know, they, they can obviously run things through Jaron, but they've been willing to run things through Chris Vogt, which I think he's been a pleasant surprise for a lot of people, uh, including, I, I, I would be certain, the, the coaching staff it's that sort of stuff. You know, they, I think the encouraging thing is they still play pretty hard nosed defense. It's, it's maybe not, you know, the same style schematically that we saw under Mick. It's, it's actually not even close, but yeah, I I think if you, if you got used to a style of ball under Mick where you knew at times there were going to be possessions that God, nobody's going to move around. Someone's going to stand there and dribble. And then, you know, the ball's going to go up with no time on the shot clock. And sometimes by the way, that ball would go in. There's not been many of those, and I think that's that's an encouraging thing. You mentioned Jaron Cumberland before in the injury. I think we can probably all agree that unless they sawed his leg off at the hip, um, he's probably going to play in this game or at least give it a go. I mean, ha- have you ha- heard any updates? Do you think you Jaron's going to be close to 100%, or what's kind of the expectation for him heading into the shootout? Um, based on what my own two eyes saw, So you go from Tuesday, Tuesday to Thursday, Tuesday. um, I watched him walk through the handshake line. And I mean, he he looked like me staggering to the bathroom in in the middle of the night. Uh, That's, that's not, that's not what you want from your best player. So he, you know, clearly there's, there's something, you know, hip related there. And then for him to not practice yesterday, that's, you know, pretty significant. I I would imagine he's not going to be 100%. I would also imagine it would take something uh, involving the removal of his leg for him to not play in, you know, his final opportunity um, to appear in a crosstown shootout. But yeah, I, 
Well, he, he, I don't, I think he's gotten through one game this season where you haven't watched him limp, hit the floor, have to be taken out, not come back in the game for a while. Um, you know, obviously he's missed two of them and, and one of them was injury related. So, I mean, just, just based on the accumulation of things. And, and to me, it's, it's not even just the injuries, the first game of the season. And John said it, you know, Jaron Cumberland was, he missed a lot of, missed most of, of preseason practice because of the, uh, the foot surgery. So he wasn't in shape. Now that game was a month ago. Well, since then he's had to sit a lot. He's had to, to miss some time, uh, you know, for, for a game that he's going to have to really carry the load and be on the court for, you know, 35 minutes plus for the Bearcats. You worry about his stamina, you worry about his physical fitness. And then, you know, obviously you add to it, you worry about something that the other night had him uh, looking, I mean, it, it hurt to watch him walk. So yeah, you, you add all that up. And I think if you're a Cincinnati fan, that's, that's cause for concern. Number one, how healthy is he going to be? But I, 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 I don't, I don't get this from talking to anybody. I, I chatted with John last night and, and he was, you know, just a kind of, you know, I don't want to say non-committal, but he was, he was, you know, unwilling to say that he would play. He was unwilling to say that he wouldn't play. He called him questionable. I, I tend to think that this is one of those games that if, if you could walk, you're going to play. And so I expect to see Jaron, but how effective and, and how much can he play? I think those are legit questions. Yeah. I mean, you got to set up the PR, you got to built in, you know, your first year head coach, you got to build in a little bit of excuse of like, Oh, Jaron shouldn't have even played, <laughs> but he went out there and got it. I mean, that's the right, right PR decision for certain. But, uh, you know, it is interesting to see if he's going to be able to, you know, Jaron Cumberland at 80%, is still a lot better than probably anything else UC has at this point. Um, so if he's able to give it a go, you have to imagine he's going to be out there. But I want to ask you, who is the next guy? Who is the next most important player for this UC team, aside from Jaron, in your opinion? For, for me, it's kind of changed. Because I would have said at the beginning of the year it would have been Keith Williams, who I think if you, if you asked a lot of casual Cincinnati fans, who was last year's second-leading scorer, they wouldn't mention Keith. And he was. Now, a lot of that came early in the season. It felt to me like he just, I don't want to say he ran out of gas, but I kind of felt like by, by the end of the year, he, it just, the air came out of the balloon or, or whatever verbiage you want to use. And you kind of forgot about him, but he had a really good, you know, second season compared to, you know, at times as a freshman, he just, he looked like he didn't belong. He really has improved his game. He's improved his jump shot. He's a better free throw shooter. He, he's obviously always had a lot of athleticism. And to me, he's been the guy that, if you think about a wider open style of play, he's the guy that could really benefit because, you know, that's, that's his game. His, his game is, is, you know, get out in the open court, let him attack the rim. Um, I think you can get more rebounding from him, but uh, I, I think Chris Vogt has shown the ability to do so many things that I think folks weren't counting on that. Uh, I think he's vital, especially right now because their backup five is hurt. If you're looking specifically at the shootout, you know, uh, Chris Vogt has height on Tyreek Jones. Tyreek Jones has muscle and girth and thickness and all that. But if Chris Vogt gets into foul trouble and, and you have to turn to Mamadou Diara or you have to go small, um, I'm, I'm not sure that's a winning proposition against good teams for the Bearcats right now. And, you know, Chris Vogt's a good passer out of double teams. He has worked on his free throw shooting. He has added, I mean, you saw him a lot at, at NKU. He was, he was a bean pole. He's added some size. He's added some strength. He's, he's going to have to continue to do that. Um, one-on-one he is, you know, he's backed guys down. Now, in many cases, we're not talking about, you know, high level, you know, college basketball bids. 
But I think you can run the offense through him. I think you can do a lot of things with him that, you know, a month ago I wasn't counting on them being able to do. And there's just not a lot of front court depth behind him. So if you can't keep him on the court or if he's not effective and you're looking for production from, you know, the four or five spot, you know, Trayvon Scott's a nice player, but I don't know where you're going to get it. I don't think you're going to get it against good teams from Diara. You know, even when Sarola comes back, he's a role guy. He's a he's a sub. He's a bench guy. So I think Chris votes their second most important player. And, you know, he can change shots, obviously, on the other end. He can, you know, he can step out and guard. We've watched him come out on the perimeter and hedge and get stops and double team. And, you know, he's a better athlete than I think he was, was given credit for. So, yeah, I think he's vital to this team. I think he's vital for the game against Xavier. And I think as you're looking ahead to, you know, the, the meat of the season, um, you hope for him to improve, but yeah, he he has to be he has to be I think against good teams better than he's already been, and obviously you got to keep him on the floor because you know again in the front court behind him, uh, right now the cupboard is is pretty bare. Yeah, I I actually tend to agree that I think that's the most interesting matchup in tomorrow's game is Vote versus Jones, just because you know Vote's height and he likes playing against shorter dudes. That's always kind of been his mo. I think he likes shooting over them, but on the flip side. Guys with strength have always given him a lot of trouble, less so this year than you know his first two years at NKU. But um, I think it still matters, especially a guy with elite strength like Jones. So I'm really interested to see that one as well. Um, real quick, what will be the role of UC's bench in this one? What what are they getting out of those guys right now? You know, I think if you if you look at their bench, big picture, I think you see things that have to to make you you know, leave you really encouraged. Mike Adams Woods, a kid from, from Syracuse. Uh, I don't think they win the Valparaiso game without him. Um, he's done some good things. I was talking with John Brandon about him last night. It, it, it feels to me like you're starting to see him react instead of think. And, you know, he can bring the ball up. You can play him off of it a little bit. He, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a freshman on a team that has some guys who could score. So you're not expecting a lot, but, but to me of their young guys, he is the most, ready to at least be able to hold his own in a game like this. Uh, Zach Harvey, you know, has, has come to Cincinnati with a lot of hype and in the game they lost against Bowling Green, that was the guy they turned to when they didn't play Jaron down the stretch of regulation for the final seven minutes. And he did some really good things. I think you could just, you could just watch and you know, this, you, you can sometimes just watch a young kid's face and just see that the game is moving too fast or he's not sure where he's supposed to be. And you still see that a lot with Zach Harvey and you can absolutely right now abuse him when he's guarding you. So, you know, I don't know if you're, if you're looking for, uh, you know, huge contributions for him and from him in a game like this, that you're going to get, that you're going to get him. But I think big picture, he has a chance to be pretty good. Jeremiah Davenport brings a lot of energy. Um, and, you know, certainly somebody who, who understands the nature of, of this rivalry. Again, I, I think somebody that if you're looking for, you know, tangible production in, in a game like this, you know, you're probably really not going to get it. The key off the bench for the Bearcats is a player that you've watched. It's Javen Cumberland. Um, you know, he is, he is a guy that this program has, has lacked for a while. He's somebody, if you go zone, you can throw it to him. He's going to bust you because he can hit a three. Uh, he's got great range. He's willing to shoot. He doesn't take a lot of bad shots. He doesn't force threes. Uh, most of the ones he has taken have come within the context of, of whatever they're trying to run. Uh, I think if UC is going to win tough games against good, good opponents, especially on the road, 
that to me, he is such a huge, uh, no pun intended, X factor because I don't think they have anybody like him. And quite frankly, you know, they've had some guys who can make outside shots, obviously. I, I don't think they've had a player like him that you could put in the game and say, that's a three-point shooter. And so if you're looking for someone who's going to come off Cincinnati's bench, assuming that Jaron's going to play, because if he doesn't, Javen's kind of the, the, the guy who would get the start, um, that's where the production is, is likely to come from. And if uh, in any situation this year the Bearcats are trying to hang on to a lead, Given how many of these other guys have missed free throws, I think that's the guy they're going to try to get the ball to in the waning minutes if they're they're in a position to ice the game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, these guys hear from me and Dan and Snow all the time. Uh, I kind of want to just get your perspective from maybe I mean, you watch these guys all the time, but maybe sort of an outsider's perspective on Xavier here. Who do you think is the most important player for Xavier in this game? I have Zach Fremantle in, in a in a weird way because you know when when we when we get first of all if you're a Bearcat fan you always expect a guy that you don't expect on Xavier's team to have a big game now Zach Fremantle has done a lot of really good things and has been really really impressive but if if you start to look at guys who are going to come off the bench the next wave of guys particularly in the front court if you're a UC fan you know again you're you're looking at players that you really can't count on. This strikes me as the kind of game, having watched Zach uh, to the extent that I have, that he's he's going to thrive in, and he's probably right now, even as a freshman, better than some of the players that that Cincinnati could throw at him off the bench. So I I go there, and then look if if Jaron Cumberland's not the best player on the court, Najee Marshall should be. Um, and you know I think you and I had this conversation last year. If we were if we were drafting. Teams based on the two rosters, you might take Jaron one, and then it's probably three or four Musketeers. Or you could say I would take Najee Marshall first. To me, you know, figuring out a way to keep him from absolutely going off, beating you in the open court, having a breakout game, and then, you know, finding other dudes and things like that. I, as as obvious as an answer as that is, I kind of feel like this game tomorrow is going to come down to the stars. And Najee Marshall, in my opinion, many would agree, I guess, is, is is at least has the potential to be their biggest star, most likely to be an all Big East performer. Um, can Cincinnati throw a a defense at him that keeps him from you know erupting? And then again, off the bench, I you know Zach Fremantle. I haven't seen Kiki Tandy enough. Um, I did watch the the Lipscomb and Green Bay games. Um, you, you know uh, because I you you watch Quentin struggle to the extent that he does. You wonder if Kiki can come off the bench and, and, and make some big shots. But but for me, it's as obvious as an answer as it is. It's Najee. And then I just, because of, of the lack of depth in the front court for Cincinnati, can Zach Freeman will give him 15, 20 good minutes, maybe not even that many? If the answer is yes, I don't know how Cincinnati counters. Yeah, I, I think those are all good points all around. So let me get your prediction for the game. Do you got a score for us? Now, see, the thing is, I'm not supposed to predict the oh, game because oh, I'm calling it. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I can't ask you that I'm, anymore. I'm going Herb Street on you. You're official, you're official member of the media um, in this game. I can't <laughs> ask you. I'm sorry. That's that's a big J journalist mistake. And that's not a cop-out because no, I have no. predicted UC losses in this game before. Yes, you have. You've done it on my podcast before, so that is totally on me. My apologies for uh, putting you in a That's okay. Spot. No, I was, I was told, hey, if you're calling the game, you got to do the Herb Street. You can't make a pick. Yep, that is that is a good point. Well, Mel, really appreciate. Regardless you of how it goes, regardless of how it shakes out, I'll just say that that's what I said was going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what you always do, anyway. So, 
course. Yeah, yeah. Hot, old takes exposed uh, on Twitter. You can find most of Mo's former tweets <laughs> somewhere on there, I think. So. Mo, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Are you, are you, you're going to be at the game, right? There's there's not a there's not a Norse function. But there's, no, what, 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 you're going to be play, there, right? Norse play Sunday against EKU, 7 p.m. I'm sure you knew that, and just it slipped your mind before you just said what you said. Um, but yeah, that's I will. No, there's a 50-50 chance I'm going to be at that game. Well, it'd be nice because the, every time you you say you're going to be at a game, it seems to be like the 50 half that doesn't show up ends up occurring. So it'd be nice if you'd show up. I came. This is actually last year they played on a Sunday in December. They played Miami. I went to the game. Well, and so I, I, this year it's a Sunday in December. I have a potential child care issue that could keep me away, but um, my goal, my plan is to attend the game on Sunday. Well, please stop by uh, and say hi to me and Jim. I'd appreciate that. You gonna wear a suit? I, and have see, your radio suit on? See, here's the thing. I couldn't broadcast it across your airwaves, but I can say it on my own podcast. I'm forced to do that, believe it or not. That is, they, they I'm, make you wear a suit? I am required to wear a suit. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. Wow. Professionalism from well, Woodfield. That's that is strong. Um I don't know who I'm more impressed by, them or you. <laughs> that I had suits. Well, no, it's a good-looking suit. I just and, and I hope this doesn't become a thing where now at UC they're like, oh, you know what, our radio crew has to start wearing suits because we might have to have some conversations. No, I, I mean, you can take our coach, but I don't think you're going to start taking cues from the <laughs> broadcasting crew. I think you're all right. All right. Well, I will. if I'm there, I will stop by and say, and say hello. Much appreciated. Thanks again, Mo. All right, Rick, thanks. All right, I'm now joined by the uh, usual two clowns of this podcast, the legend Brian Snow and Dan. Um, guys, I'm going to go real general here to start with you two. Give me the biggest key for a Xavier win. What do you think is the biggest factor in this game, whether that's a matchup, stat, stat, whatever? You know, today, this morning on uh, both the Musketeer Report and Bearcat Journal, I did the same story. It's a statistical breakdown of the trends each team has showed up to this point. And to me, the clear number one thing for Xavier to win is they have to control offensive rebounding. Xavier, I don't want to say they've been an elite offensive rebounding team, but they've been darn near it this year so far. And UC's been an average to slightly below defensive rebounding team. And since neither team can shoot the ball well at all, it's going to come down to extra possessions and who gets the most shots to the rim. Xavier has a clear advantage there. So can Tyreek Jones dominate Broering's idol, Chris Vogt? Can Jason Carter really do a good job? Najee Marshall, do they offensive rebound against, for the most part, smaller Cincinnati players or less physical Cincinnati players? That, to me, is the biggest key since I think it's pretty obvious that Xavier's probably not going to knock down 10 threes in the game or something like that. The only Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace over here, all right? Daniel, what about you? I would say that it's uh, it, it kind of goes hand-in-hand with what Snow said about limiting uh, extra possessions. And in this case, for UC, one thing that jumps off the stat sheet for me is that they are third in the country in free throw rate on offense. Uh, and so for me, it's going to be, can Xavier defend without fouling? Can they keep UC off the foul line? Now, I know that free throw uh, rate is, is uh, 
is a little bit inflated, maybe a lot inflated by the fact that UC has had a number of games this year where they've been up by a significant amount late in the game and blown it because they couldn't hit free throws. I know UNLV was a game that went to overtime because of that. I know uh, Bowling Green uh, and I believe Valpo as well were games where they had six to nine point leads in the last couple of minutes, missed a, a boatload of free throws. But still, they're getting the line at a high rate. And uh, for X, especially like with, a, with, with somebody like Jaron Cumberland, who's very adept at if he can get a couple, if he can get a good first dribble, get you on your back foot, he can always initiate contact and get himself to the line. You know, for X, it's going to be defend without fouling, especially in a game like this, a rivalry game where the referees will be quite interested in, uh, in keeping things from turning into a rugby scrum in the first four minutes. They're going to be real whistle happy that probably leads to a lot of foul shots being on the, on the, uh, on the floor late in the first half, late in the second half. So for X, it's going to be defend without fouling. Don't give UC easy points because the bottom line is for the Xavier team, the way they're going to win games, as we've seen all year, defense, they got to be locked in. They can't give up easy points because they don't get a whole lot of easy points at the other end. So, uh, so don't give them, don't make it a parade to the foul line, make UC earn what they get. Uh, I think is the the way it's going to have to be. The other thing is just you you can't get buried at the three point line. I know UC has been poor as a Xavier this year. I think both teams are shooting in the in the UC is shooting thirty two percent and maybe seven percent so far this season from three. If it's roughly that in the game and it's like a three to six point delta that favors UC, I think Xavier's in really good shape. If it's a fifteen point delta that favors UC then Xavier's screwed, basically. So, I mean, it's just going to be making sure that you defend you defend out to the arc effectively, that you challenge shooters, that you don't give them easy opportunities from the arc as well. Well, thanks, Dick. I asked for one, the biggest. You go on, you give me two, and you take mine in your second one. What is that, Dan? I thought we were on the same team here. I mean, you're on, you, you've been on the radio all week. Basically, every time <laughs> I get in the car, you're, I hear your voice. It's like you're following me around. I don't even know what's going on. So I, you've said everything there is possible to say about both teams over the last week. If you're telling me not to repeat anything, I don't know what I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that is a fair point. Um, I, I b- agree with your second point, though. I think it is UC's three-point shooting because Xavier can win this game without hitting threes. Like you said, that's how they're going to win games most of the year. I don't think... UC has a chance to win this game if they don't knock down shots from the outside at a pretty good clip. Um, now, that being said, I don't think this is like a game that's going to be high scoring and get a ha- get out of hand and Xavier's going to run away with it. I do think you know UC will stay within striking distance, so it's not like they necessarily have to shoot the lights out or anything, but I do think, you know, obviously Jaron Cumberland playing, which we all expect him to, and uh, hitting some shots as well as some of those supporting role players doing so as well will be a, a big key for UC if they want to have a chance in this one. Um, Snow, I'm interested to hear your opinion on how do you think Xavier's going to match up in their man-to-man defense when defending UC? Well, I think Najee's going to be on Cumberland. I would say that's pretty obvious. And then, the you know, the 4-5 is pretty easy. You're going to have Tyreek Jones on Vote and Carter on uh, Trey Scott. I think that's clear, obvious, whatever. Um I believe Scruggs is the better guy when it comes – I believe this has been that way in the past. I'm not sure what the numbers say this year. The Xavier staff would have that. But I believe Scruggs is the better one at chasing screens and you know guarding shooters. 
So I tend to believe he'll start out on Javid Cumberland and then Goodnagard, the point guard. Um, well, haven't they but, been starting Keith Williams and Chris McNeil? And Jay yes, come off the bench? But I, I mean, so McNeil, when McNeil's in, I should say, I was putting with Cumberland in because I think he's more of an X factor with his ability to make shots. Right. When Javen Cumberland's in, I think Scruggs probably matches up to him. When McNeil's in, I think Gooden matches up to him and Scruggs goes to the point guard. Or Keith Williams? Yeah, that's what I mean. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of what I was thinking as well. Um, that being said, and Dan, I'll, I'll go to you for this one to start. Who do you think is the most interesting matchup in this game? Probably, well, I mean, how do you go past the two star players who are both playing and maybe, well, for Cumberland, it certainly is his last cross-down shootout, but for Najee Marshall, very possibly his last cross-down shootout. I mean, how do you look any further than that? Uh, those are the two guys that their teams depend on to be sort of the, the alpha, the shot maker. Um, and although Cumberland is, although who knows what the situation has been, I know Cumberland's been banged up. I know there's been some... Uh, questions about his adaptation with the new staff there. Um, but this is the kind of game where if you're a competitor and he certainly is, and the lights are on, this is a game where you would certainly expect him to be uh, playing at the top of his ability. So how does Najee Marshall handle Najee Marshall uh, be just as aggressive, be just as productive on the other end of the floor um, that's the biggest matchup of the game is Cumberland and Marshall. I don't know that UC can win if Cumberland doesn't have like a huge Trayvon Blewett style game. Um, I don't know if Cumberland scores nine points or 12 points or even 15 points. So UC wins a game. I think he's got to get 20 plus, And so it's really going to be on Najee to, to limit what he's capable of doing. Um, of course that, that probably has set me up for an old takes exposed, but I, but I think that, uh, that that's the biggest matchup. Snow, what do you think? Um, to me, that's that's key, but to me it's uh, Tyreek Jones slash Zach Fremantle against Chris Vogt because that's an area where Xavier has to dominate both in terms of points and rebounds. And the other thing that comes with it is how does Xavier expose Vogt's lack of mobility laterally in ball screen situations. So I, I just think that, that matchup's the most important one because if UC can get a stalemate at the five, in terms of production, I think their odds of winning go way up, whereas Xavier has to dominate that. And if they do dominate it, as quite honestly most would expect, then it's going to be really hard for UC to win. Yeah, and I don't know if that's like the most important matchup, but I, I am most interested to watch that one as well. And because it's, it's weird, Chris Vogt really likes to play against shorter guys. I mean, he finishes well over shorter guys. That's been historically his thing. Guys over like 6'10", you know, tend to give him a lot more trouble than guys under 6'9". Um, that being said, he's also really struggled with strength in the past. Now, he has bulked up a lot this past season, and that's bothering him less and less. But a guy with Tyreek Jones' strength is still going to give him trouble. And where he a lot of times gets in trouble is he just can't catch it where he wants to. And if he catches it five, six feet from the basket as opposed to right on the block, he's not nearly as effective. And when he has been able to catch it low or catch it on, you know, pick and rolls off of their ball screen motion, he's been pretty darn good for them at times. Um, and the other games where he hasn't been 
as effective. It's been, you know, those types of games where he's gotten forced off the block and his, his catches have been tougher. So I am definitely interested to see how that plays out, particularly when Xavier's on defense. I think when Xavier's on offense, you know, they're not going to necessarily play through Tyreek, but he'll be a factor as he always is. So I'm, I'm, I don't think that's as, as interesting to watch, but what about Kiki Tandy in this one? Obviously the fans are talking about him constantly right now and understandably so it's, it's an exciting thing to add a player like him at this point of the season. He got busted in the mouth, uh, it late in the last game, he got stitches on the inside. I'm sure he's still going to give it a go and be able to play, as Travis Steele said after the game. Snow, give me your initial thoughts on Kiki Tandy. What has he shown? Exactly what we thought. You know, he's not afraid to shoot. He's going to make his fair share of them. He's going to make dumb decisions, uh, uh, and he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. But he's got offensive capabilities that no one else on the team has. So I, I think it's pretty much been as expected. It's going to be somewhat inefficient at times, somewhat fantastic at times. It's just kind of the player Kiki Tandy is. Dan, what have you thought after getting to see him in game action finally? I think it just adds a little bit of uh, it, it adds a little bit of electricity to the to the team. It shakes things up a little bit. Um, you know, as Snow said, has he been uh, you know lights out, great shooter? really changed the game for Xavier? Not really, but I would say that it has it has changed the way they play when he's on the court. He's a more dynamic player as a reserve guard than anybody else that Xavier's got. Um, and so, you know, I, what, what his role will be uh, tomorrow, I, I have no idea. I, I would certainly think he'll play. I don't think that, uh, you know, I know he's, he's playing. Let's just put that away right now. Game, he's but, playing. But I, but I mean, will and I, he doesn't seem like the type. I mean, this is a guy who busted his lip open on the rim at one point, so <laughs> he doesn't seem like the type that will be um, hesitant in any way. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I would think he would be really interested in playing this game, given that his recruitment seemed to be UC and Xavier pretty much for the last year. And. Uh, well, I guess we'll we'll see what he can put on the floor, but it it, it does give Xavier a little bit of more dynamism in like that second unit uh, that they they didn't really they don't really get when it's uh, when it's say more and Bishop or 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 when you have to play a guy like like Gooden and and Scruggs with the second team, it gives you an opportunity you could hypothetically rest both those guys at the same time. So I don't think Travis wants to do that, but. It gives you a little bit more dynamism, I think, in that second group. D- is that dynamism? Is that what you're saying? Dynamism. dynamism. Oh, yeah. All right. Dynamism. That's the. Uh, I don't know if that's a word. Don't Dan's, look at me. Dan's the source. Word of the day brought to you by Nabisco. It might not be a word. Uh, Snow, it might what? Not be a word. Snow, any thoughts on on Tandy in the shootout? Like, do you think are you going to call your shot and say he's going to have a breakout game or not so much? No, I don't think he will. I think he'll make two threes, probably score eight points, probably miss three defensive assignments turn it over twice, have a nice pass, and basically be what he is. All right. Dan, on a scale of one to Miles Fox Morrissey, how excited are you to watch Zach Freeman play in his first cross-down shootout? <laughs> uh, that definitely is one of the more interesting subplots, isn't it? I would say... This so guy cracks me so up. That's one to 50. That's one to 55. Is that the scale? <laughs> yeah. I would say I'm in like... I would say I'm in like a solid, like, I don't know, Tyrone Hill zone. Uh, so, so like 42 of 55. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he's going he's gonna to do something funny, I think. Uh, I wonder how much nonsense there's going to be this year. Uh, with, with no Mick Cronin, with, uh, with, with JP gone, with, uh, I, I wonder. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's been nonsense before Mick, during Mick, after Mick, before JP. I mean, it's been, it's been fairly nonsensical for a while. Yeah, but man, it. I will say, you know, for all the has the shootout lost its luster takes, the one I'm most convinced of is that it, it misses something without Mick Cronin. Like, people thought Bob Huggins was a good villain, but people actually respected Bob Huggins. No one had any respect for Mick Cronin on the Xavier side. Like, it was just pure hatred, and, like, that guy is a total clown. It was so easy to dislike Mick Cronin and everything about him and his program that I I do think that I will miss Mick Cronin being on that sideline. But like that doesn't impact nonsense. I mean that impacts fan feelings more so than than in-game nonsense. Yeah, th- it'll have to well, come from the, the players. Nonsense? Who are the who are the who are the players most likely to bring out nonsense? I mean obviously from the Xavier side you have Fremantle and we know that I, I don't think Fremantle's all that nonsensical. I I think he's going to be. I he's he's been doing some extraneous yelling and things after plays and some wild looks in his eyes that I think he's he's ready to snap and, and think, put on a show for us. And I think Paul Scruggs I think Paul Scruggs has a nonsense streak that is a little oh, bit underrated. Scruggs is the obvious answer. Yeah. The low-key answer is Bryce Moore, though. Well, and you know he who else? bothers people. Yeah, he gets in people's heads, so I think he's likely to draw the reaction from someone. But I'll tell you, someone who has been like quick to get in the fray over the last year plus is Quentin Gooden. He's had low-key like a lot of dust-ups at the end of plays and talking with guys and stuff like that. I mean, he just had one um, the other night against uh, whoever the hell they were playing. I don't even remember. Oh, uh, Green Bay. Yeah. yeah. But, like, it all starts with Bryce because he's real physical with you and he doesn't talk. And that just pisses you off. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. He's the one that'll that'll drive UC people crazy, I think. Yeah, he's an instigator, so Xavier, and others kind of nonsense off of him. So if Xavier puts out a lineup that's good in Scruggs, let's say, more Fremantle and pick your fifth, that's probably your highest nonsense probability. Yeah, and it, I mean, Najee's never one to avoid it. He doesn't really start a lot of things, but he's not, you know, a peacemaker out there himself. <laughs> I could say for sure. With 100% confidence, Najee is not against nonsense. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this Xavier team certainly has the uh, has the possibility of it happening. The UC team, um, look, I mean, Chris McNeil bounced around to 16 different colleges before he landed on UC, so I can't imagine he's, like, the easiest guy to get along with. I have to imagine he has a streak to him. Um, Jaron Surley. Yeah, Jaron, not the most pleasant guy all the time out there on the court. So uh, I don't know that they have. I don't, you know, Chris Vogt is just kind of indifferent. He's he's a little bit odd, but I don't know that he's one to scrap a whole lot out there. So um, and um, the young guys, we don't know yet. Keith Williams has some New York to him. He's not afraid. He's got some Brooklyn. Yeah, he, he'll he'll get down. So it's possible. I mean, it's so going to have to come from the players. We, so. Do we believe that there – so I guess the first question is how many technical fouls, if any, will there be in this game? Uh, I would probably take zero. Yeah, the over-under would probably be .5 this year, I think. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, Mick yeah, was I think pretty be- much a guaranteed one. 
Steele's not going to get one soft, because he just doesn't have it in him. I think there'll be a soft double technical at some point just to like, it'll probably be like Tyreek and, and somebody else like getting tangled up on a rebound or something like that. It'll be soft. It won't be deserved, but it'll be the refs trying to get control of things because they're convinced that it'll be World War Three out there. Yeah, I don't love that. Um, speaking of the coaches, do you feel – I was talking with Skinny the other day, and I said, like, I feel like this is kind of a big game for Travis Steele just from the fan standpoint. I mean, I don't know how much that actually means, and if he has a good season, it's not like you know he's going to be in any type of trouble or on a hot seat or anything like that. But I do think just from the fan perspective, which – can make quality of life better, I think, as a coach sometimes. If he wins this game and, you know, they continue to do what they're doing, things are looking pretty good for Travis Steele as the head coach at Xavier. If he loses to this UC team, I think it stings a little bit more than most losses would at this point for a head coach. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, like, knowing that UC is really going to be all about Brandon and, you know, like, Xavier's a more talented team in their own building. So you don't necessarily expect that to be a win if you're a UC fan. Uh, Xavier fans, you have the more talented team in your own building coming off of a year where you played like crap against UC. Xavier fans are going to want to win that game and feel that they should win the game. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme, it's not like a John Cooper at Ohio State situation or what Jim Harbaugh is going through at Michigan right now where it's like just beat your rival already. Uh, but still, you know, it could, it could, there could be some seedlings getting, you know, getting in there with steel in, in the, uh, Xavier fan base. If, if, if Xavier doesn't win on Saturday. Well, it's interesting that you brought up, uh, Harbaugh snow. Cause like, you, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to drop like some real math on you, but you can't get to zero and five without being zero and two. Right. So people forget. So, that. I mean, yeah, you, you, you gotta, uh, you gotta win. Uh, I think this is one that, that Travis, I, I, I think he really does need to win this one. I mean, I'm not saying that if he doesn't, it's some great indictment of what he, of, of the work he's doing at Xavier, but I think it would be, you know, it, it kind of feels like if he can win this one, it'll feel like that Villanova game last year, that it kind of validates what they've been doing. You know, obviously there was no real postseason success last year. The, the, the middle part of the season was really bad. Uh, they got blown out at UC last season. So so I think it would, to a certain extent, validate the progress that, that's being made, hopefully, uh, under this coaching staff to get this win tomorrow. I would tell you they had a great postseason success by losing to Texas, and everybody in it. that building would tell you that. Uh, well, they could have got it. They could have gotten a head start on the Lipscomb rivalry if they'd have won that game. And uh, Yeah, I, I can tell you uh, losing to Texas was far better received 48 hours later than winning at Texas would have been. I'm, I'm not following that. Can you fill me in on that one? I'm missing out on that. Yeah, because then they would have beaten Colorado and been playing another two weeks going back to New York City. Mm. No one would have wanted that. Okay, gotcha. All right, prediction time. What do you guys got? Give me a score. Uh, well, Dan won't actually give a score. Usually, he'll give a score that contradicts no, I have a his score. own take. <laughs> I have a score written down. Dan will give us a All score right. range. I, I will go sixty-seven, sixty-one, Xavier. All right, a six-point win from six, Snow. I had, I had sixty-eight, sixty-one. So, ooh, a seven-point win from Dan. Um, I'm going uglier than that. I just have a feeling that this is going to be one of the most god-awful halves of basketball we watched to start out. 
<laughs> in the first half, and then uh, things will pick up a little bit. Xavier wins 63-56. That's my prediction. Any final thoughts from you guys? I mean, we're looking at a 70-72 to 72 possession game, most likely. If one team scores 56, we all deserve combat pay. Do you think, Strap in, buddy. Rick, do you think that it's, let me ask you this, do you think it's more likely, so let's say, I think the, the line is six and a half or six. Ken I, Palm I think that's has the way it's probably going to be. Yeah, I think it'll probably be six or six and a half tomorrow. So, Rick, let's, let's say that uh, the question is, is it more likely that UC wins outright or Xavier wins by, let's say, 12 plus? Man, I would say UC wins outright. That's a tough call. It's uh, a really good question, Dan. I'm going to say UC wins outright. I, I just don't see this. I Well, 12 and a half is where you get me because, like, I could call it 10 maybe. I could see Xavier winning by 10. You start getting up to, like, 13, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I see that. Yeah, I mean, we've just seen, like, the last couple times they've played at Centos Center, X has buried them early, right? But it's always been on the the back of hitting a ton of threes, hitting a ton of shots. And I think last year they were up, like, 16 or 17 points early in the first half. This team, this this current Xavier team just doesn't have that gear. So it's like I, I, I could see something maybe like the game um, – the year that Edmund Sumner just issued that ridiculous thunder jam and the game was like between six and 12 points for the entire second half. You could see something like that where Xavier keeps them at bay, but can't put them away. Maybe, but I, I don't know. I, I, when I say seven points, I see that more as Xavier's up two with 45 seconds left and, and pulls away at the end. Not that, you know, not that Xavier is comfortable for most of the game. See, I could see Xavier leading like, seven to ten most of the second half and then winning by six that's sort of more like how i see it going um but really nothing in that range from xavier losing by a couple of points to xavier winning by 10 ish would shock me anything outside of that would would you know i mean xavier wins this game by 15 points and i would be a bit shocked yeah yeah just because xavier like they they are who they are. It's going on about five years now. They're not the most focused squad when they get a lead. Well, yeah, and I, I think this game is going to be low scoring, too. I just don't. Yeah, and then you, you're going to have houses being built by both teams. But, by the way, how did, it, how did it get to this point where, like, people are acting like you see some offensive juggernaut? I don't, I don't know that I've heard that as much as they, they're just looking at a different style where a team is trying to play faster and score a little bit more, even though they're not having any success making shots. Like It is a different style of basketball, for sure. They're much more free-flowing. They turn the ball over a whole lot more willingly, um, and they, they take more ill-advised shots for certain. Now, they're not having any success doing that, but it is a different look. Yeah, I mean, it's a different look, but people are like, oh, this, this UCT plays like Xavier used. No, they don't. I think it's just more of like, you know, it, when you look at that, the pace of their ball screen motion offense compared to literally when Mick ran that same thing like three years ago, it looks like a totally different system. And it's just because like they're running it with pace and shooting quicker shots and um, trying to get quicker hits off of it. So 
I do think they look completely different than they did last year, even if they can't score completely different than they did last year. Yeah. I'll give you that. All right. Well, unless you guys have any final comments, I think that does it. Let's do this. You know, uh, I hope that all the UC fans... (laughs) So apparently, Cintas Center is like a scary place to come to a game now. You have to come and like riot gear. I have to say, I've not... I've not experienced it myself, but there was an old enough. fat dude with one of those old school Reebok Xavier pullovers, like the V neck uh, royal blue ones. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Windsuit. Yeah. yeah. One. Of, there was a fat guy with those. He had kind of shaggy hair that was yelling at Green Bay's coaches as they were exiting after the game. So I, I did kind of feel the vibe that it's a bit dangerous at times for opposing teams. After I mean, just, just yeah. hypothetically, if the ex-wife of assistant coach on a team throws a cell phone at a player. Was that the player threatening the coach, his wife? Just asking. I don't. It all depends on what disguise her husband was wearing at the time, I think. Yeah, that, that could be it. <laughs> that, that'll, is that another one from Snow's ever-expanding memoir? <laughs> oh, that's a documented incident. <laughs> yeah, I think that I was mean, the rally observer. You don't have it end up 25 feet away from you. Well, well, this well, podcast has certainly gone in a good spot. Uh, it sure, it certainly should be an interesting uh, game. Snow, will you be able to make it to Lucas Oil Stadium after the game ends? Not a chance in hell because I don't have a private plane. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. All right. You've been listening to another edition of the Data and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. For Mo Egger, the legend, Brian Snow, and Dan, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone.